the episode the idea of manhood episode 13 i've been doing this for 13 weeks one would think one would think that i'd have it together but uh either way you're still tuned in it's uh episode 13 thank you for tuning in it's your boy five mike's husband father educator writer mc the microphone gives me wings and we're back again in the studio um Episode 13. 13 is a lucky number for me for a lot of reasons. My birthday is on the 13th of January. Um, I always just had an affinity with the number 13. I don't know. I feel like 13, when I was 13, that was a good year. Uh, (laughs) M, the first letter of my name, is the 13th letter. I just always had an affinity with that number. I never really agreed with that whole, you know, lucky, you know, unlucky number, whatever. But I'm here. Episode 13. I'm feeling good, feeling great. I've been having some really good offline conversations with people that I know very well, people that I love, people that love me from, you know, from my wife. I've been talking about it to 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 my sister, to my, uh, you know, friend Dana and Drea and um, people that have supported me from day one. Are still listening, still tuned in People that I didn't even know were listening Hit me up like, yo, listen to your podcast Neighbors and everything Um, So I'm I'm really appreciative for the listenership Um, And I feel like, you know, it's just this This is a passion of mine And, you know, what's really funny Is that as you get older And, you know, as you gain more responsibility As you have, you know, you have kids You have you know, a relationship, marriage, you have jobs, you have a house to maintain, you know, people, you know, life tries to tell you sometimes that you can't follow your dreams when you get too old or you, you or you have other things that become more important than your passion. And, um, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's such thing as too old, too old for what? You know, uh, age is a mentality. You know what I mean? Your body, of course, has limitations. But, you know, if, if you eat right and, and do what you're supposed to do, with your athlete, you, could, you could even, you know, um, withstand those things. But I'm just here to say thank you to everybody that's listening. 13 weeks. We have a great show for you today. The, the title of today's show is I Got a Story to Tell. Okay, I got a story to tell. Those are my hip hop people that don't know. Notorious B.I.G. had an amazing song on his album. Um, uh, his, his posthumous, kind of posthumous album. Uh, ready? No, not Ready to Die. Oh, God, the Life After Death. I got a story to tell. Well, I got a story to tell today. And we're going to talk about stories in general and the importance of having a story. So I have a story. It's a true story I want to tell you. Uh, we're going to have the I'm Tired moment. We're going to have the hip-hop moment. And it's going to be a great show. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Keep tuning in. Go back and listen to those other episodes. Tell your people. You know, we had some great episodes. Um, we're getting to the point now. Where, like, I've, I've been saying it, but for real, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture out and do a Skype 
I'm going to get someone on the Skype and, and interview some folks, talk to some of my friends and people I know. Um, we'll get Danielle back on here when she's good and ready. Um, what is that, an airplane? Is it close? Anyhow, sorry, my window's open because it gets hot in the stew, okay? Um, but yo, thank you for listening to episode 13, and we'll be right back. Hold tight. I got my eye on you. You're everything that I see. Okay, I'm back. Episode 13, the idea of manhood. Thanks for tuning in. I didn't tell you before where you can find me. If you found me, you know where to find me, but tell your people www.theideamanhood.com you know i'm on instagram at uh am i on instagram i don't think i have a or i'm gonna be on instagram but i'm on itunes um stitcher you know soundcloud just go out there and look search five mics search the idea manhood and, and i'll be right there um i'm tired okay i'm this this episode might be a little heavy even though my voice sounds light and free. It might be a little heavy just because it's a lot going on. Um, it's a lot going on. And I'm tired of today. What I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to have these constant conversations about race. Okay. I'm tired of race talk. Um, you know, I don't even know where to begin with this one. There, there are so many, it, it, it's so many levels to this, right? Um, Meek said there's levels to this ish, and so I, there's there's the media. I think the media plays a big part in this, and the media, I honestly believe, capitalizes off of the hurt that race issues cause. Right. They capitalize off the hurt that it causes people of color and it capitalizes on the anger and the defensiveness of white people. Um, and it's a cycle and it's vicious and it's real and they hunt for it. They look for it. They create stories or they highlight stories that have been happening for hundreds of years and make it feel to all of us like it's brand new or like it's an epidemic. Like, oh, my God, look at all these teachers being beat up by black students. Look at all these black students being roughhoused by security officers. Look at all these cops abusing black lives. Look at all these black people riding in the streets. Look at all these illegals air quotes crossing the border look at all these you know whatever it is right all the things that we see every look at all these black people killing each other in this part of town look at all these young white men shooting up schools and tv you know and and movie theaters look you know they they sensationalize these issues and then they're just there catching the spin, like catching however people feel about it. Then you got folks like the crazy dude on, on CNN. I don't want to even say his name. You got the crazy chick that used to be in the Cosby show that was cute back in the day. That's crazy. But like, they're not crazy. They're not crazy. They're just a byproduct of the media and the media's, um, you know, bloodthirsty desire to capitalize on 
the emotions of people of color and, you know, and the emotions of white folks, too. And, and making us always feel like we have to be against each other and making us feel like, you know, making brown people feel like all white people are like this and making white people feel that all people of color are like this and and us being fueled by those ridiculous notions. You know, I think I mentioned it in an old podcast that 90% of our attention is focused on 10% of the issue. You know what I'm saying? So we're focusing all this time and money and da, 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 on 10% a problem that is really occurring 10% of the time. Now, here's what's really complicated and what makes it even more um, discerning for me is that race is an issue. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So like we know that race is a real issue in the United States, in this world. People of color have been abused and oppressed and um, have been capitalized upon, have been, um, you know, just so many things have been abused by the institutions in in, in these United States. And it's real. And so you have issues that are coming up now. You know, we had a black president. You know, we had the Confederate flag issue. We have police brutality. We have, um, you know, immigration that we're talking about. All these issues that have to deal with diversity. And because the media, I think, is so polarizing, we don't know as a country, as people, as everyday regular people, how to have conversations about race. We don't know where to go to, we don't know where to go to get informed about how to have genuine conversations. So when you come out and say, you know, the education system is racist, People that don't agree with that, which a lot of times are going to be white, they're going to come back and say, how dare you say that? The education system is not racist. But, you know, all the all you got to do is like do a little bit of history searching and you'll find that what our education system in the country has been built upon and where it's been, you know, just a good short 45 years ago to where it is right now, Um, you know. And so because of our inability to be flexible, we don't have the opportunity to really engage. And because of the fact that, you know, so many white people and so many institutions in the United States try to negate racism and say, oh, it's not this. Oh, you're looking into things. You're looking for things that aren't there. Because of that, people of color maintain that anger. And it's a cycle. Somebody's capitalizing off of this. Like this country is way too focused on money to think that these issues are just popping up the way that they are for giggles. You know what I'm saying? Just for the F of it. Um, and so I'm tired of that. I'm tired of, you know, um, not being, you know, not being able to, to talk to someone and say, hey, you know what? You're a good person. You're a good person. I like you. But what you said is racist without them like crying and without them getting angry, like that's not racist. You're you're just this. You know what I'm saying? Without just like eating that and being like, you know what? 
Maybe it is. Let me look and see where I got that thought from and I'll come back to you. But we're so emotionally charged that we can't ever have that conversation. Um, You know, I'm tired of I'm tired of brown people thinking that because someone is racist or because someone holds racist ideals that that means that they're a bad person and that you can't talk to them and that you can't utilize whatever platform it is not to educate. It's not your problem. You're not their teacher. You're not their mom or their dad. And most likely you're not going to reverse whatever it is that they have in their mind. But if you stay silent, though, if you stay silent or just assume like, oh, white people ain't going to stay ah, you know, hey, that's on you. You take that to your grave. You take that to sleep at night. You stay and be mad, kicking rocks down the road with your lips turned out because everybody, you know, is doing whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I just really wish there was a a better opportunity. I wish people were a little bit more informed about, um, you know, the things that are happening in our society and the fact that a little girl in South Carolina was thrown around the classroom by a police officer. So what y'all saw was the girl being disobedient, air quotes, big air quotes. You saw a police officer come in and you saw the police officer, you know, go too far and throw the girl around the classroom. That's what y'all, that was the visual, right? What I saw was the classroom didn't flinch. Like they didn't even like hiccup. Like they didn't even you know, they didn't even jump. You know what I'm saying? Um, if I go down the stairs, me, myself, in my own house at night, and the ice maker comes on, I jump a little bit because it's it's alarming. I'm not used to the ice maker just going off in the middle of the night. These kids are in a classroom in school, and a teacher or a, a security guard flipped a girl out her desk in the middle of the class, and they acted like the sunshine. You know, so... Um, I saw that and that they didn't flinch and it was normal. And the fact that the teacher came into the classroom to do that, to show the other kids, don't you F with me because I'll do this to you. You know what I'm saying? That's like the backstory. So I don't know that that's that's it's heavy. But hey, you know what? It's not heavy because it's real. It's reality. We had to deal with this. We have to live with this every day. Our kids had to deal with this, you know, so we have to get to a point where we can talk about it and, and not get, you know, bent out of shape, not get our feelings hurt. Like, yo, you're a racist. I don't know. I'm not because here's why. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, maybe not. All right, good. Have a good day. I'll, I'll see you at the court tomorrow. Whatever. Um, all right, so that's what I'm tired of at this very moment. Uh, I'm going to come back real quick, and we're going to, you know, cross over AI style, or should I? I'm, I'm giving my age. I'm crossover Steph Curry style uh, into the hip-hop minute. All right, hold tight. Peace. Bye bye, Mr. Batty Boy. Okay, um, back. I'm back. Listen, I'm watching this video again. I was at the TV on, and I'm watching this video. I don't know this song, but these dudes are dancing so hard in this video. Uh, I watched So You Think You Can Dance, and it looks like the So You Think You Can Dance guys in the video. But Dennis Rodman's in the video. Uh, Pusha T's in the video. What am I watching? It looks crazy. Is that Gina from Martin? I don't know. Um, anyhow, Hip Hop Minute, while we're talking about it. Um, I want to talk about one thing. I just put this on Facebook because I just listened to this album today. Um, but 
most of you all know about Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Sean Combs. Um, he released a new, he's not calling it a mixtape. He's calling it, what do he say? A sonic motion picture. And it's called Money Making Mitch. Money Making Mitch. It's a mixtape for, you know, for those of you that can't get with the Sonic picture thing. But um, so basically, I heard him on the, on the Breakfast Club yesterday. Uh, you all remember Paid in Full. Paid in Full is a hip hop uh, movie that came out probably 15, 10 years ago now by Dame Dash and Jay-Z, Rockefeller movies, and really, really good movie. Most Slept On is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Makai Pfeiffer is in it, homeboy from Kid is in I can't think of his name. Really good actor. Uh, I think he's from Harlem, too. Cameron's in it. Um, you know, it's, it's a really great film. Um, but there's a character in there played by Makai Pfeiffer. His name was Mitch, and uh, the story, the, this this sonic motion picture is kind of like you know if if Mitch was alive today, and it just has that very, you know, you got to think about people. People always laugh at P Diddy and like, oh, you know, he's washed up or he's doing too much or whatever. But if you you got to think about musically what this guy has presented to us, like to the world musically, sonically, right? So think about Bad Boy, think about Jodeci, think about Mary J, right? Think about, you know, after Biggie died, um, you know, and he came, you know, he had some other flavor. He had the the, the train, last train to Paris. He's had some moments where he's really kind of shifted the sound and kind of generated this sound, right? So the sound on this mixtape is, um, it, it it's reflective of the current, kind of the trappy sound um but then also has that very typical bad boy flash harlem sound you know that like you know they called it diddy bop because you know diddy would kind of like you know the way that he walked he kind of had that diddy bop and you bop to the beat and that's he got these songs that make you like feel like superman listening to them like they're just so musically leveled. Like there's so many levels to the music and it's still hip hop, um, but just very musical. You know, lyrically, Puffy isn't the greatest. He has some great writers and his delivery really isn't that great either. But he just has this swag about him that's like so New York, so Harlem. If you've ever been to New York, you know that each borough has a different flavor and harlem dude got that flashy you know always be the freshest flyers you know talking the sweetest talk and that's what this album is so i definitely suggest that all of you go out listen to it just give it a quick listen you know while you're at the gym doing your walk walking your dog whatever putting your kids to sleep <laughs> listen to money making mitch uh it, it's it's really good um that's all i'm going to focus on musically uh there's a whole bunch of other stories on hip-hop this week meek and meek and wale are back at it again i don't even want to talk about it uh joe budden had an issue with another podcaster they have podcast beef and it erupted into something different that was completely entertaining to me um what else happened this week in hip-hop uh i feel like i'm missing something um well that's it for now so that my main thing is money making mitch go listen to that uh coming right back with the uh the main idea the main event and it's titled i got a story to tell because i do hold tight
story to tell. All right, so listen. Every person, every man should have a story to tell, does have a story to tell, right? Um, It is my thought that as a man, there is a defining moment in your life that, you know, where you came into your own or that kind of set the stage for things to happen in your life, right? A launching point or a bottom point that really, you know, you had to gather your wits about you and make things happen in a certain way where you became a man or where, you know, you had to make certain decisions that defined who you are. So if we're talking about the idea of manhood, I'm thinking that this story that all men should have should be one of those defining moments. And it's not just one, it might be multiple. And I have one. I want to share mine with you. Um, And I want you, you know, during this time, men, women, boys, girls, think of your own story. What is that story? What is that thing that you're going to tell your grandkids or that you tell people when, you know, you have a moment that really defines who you are as a person? Here's my story, right? So, um, don't don't judge me. You're going to judge me anyway, but I really don't care. So, I I wouldn't be doing this. Um, I was 20 years old, right? I was 20 years old and I was in college, um, James Madison University. I was a junior and I was getting ready to finish my senior year, of course. Uh, it was the spring semester, I believe, of my junior year. And um, times were tough financially, you know, um, but they were tough in a typical college tough way you know my parents my you know my mom and stepdad didn't cover money my dad didn't really come from much and uh you know I was a first generation college student I was figuring the, figuring a lot of stuff out on my own um you know there were plenty of days where you know I had to go around with one contact lens because I had one of them ripped and I couldn't afford another one I wasn't gonna wear my glasses because I was vain um you know there were times when I you know my coats were raggedy or there were times where I couldn't purchase books uh, for class because, you know, I had to wait to get a check or whatever, wait for money to come in or I had to use somebody else's book or use last year's book, whatever it was. There were times when I had to struggle. No big deal. Right. And I and I kind of I never wallowed in my pity with that because I came from struggle. Like I came from life on campus wasn't you know, it, it, it was just life. You just lived and you did, you may do. And I was never down as a result of that. I was never bitter or angry. But there became a point in my junior year where I could not pay for next, uh, for the current semester's courses. And so that means I could not register for next year's classes. Right. So, you know, getting the bills. We didn't have emails. I wasn't getting emails, but I was getting phone calls. Uh, You know, they were calling home. They were calling me, you know, when I would go on campus and check other systems, things were locked. I couldn't access my schedule. I couldn't print out things um, because my records were on hold. I didn't have the funds to pay for this semester's tuition. 
And uh, I had to make some decisions, you know, so I, I don't think I ever asked my mom or my dad. Stuff. I don't think I ever asked for money when I was in college. I never like, hey, oh, can you send me some money, please? Um, I never did. But this time I had to. And it was a, to the tune of maybe twenty one hundred dollars, twenty two. So looking back on it, not a whole lot. You know, it's it's a lot. But, you know, in the grand scheme of how much college costs, you know, it was what it was. And I would ask my mom, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't do it. My mom, my stepdad couldn't do it. I asked my dad, and if you remember going back to the earlier episode, this is where my dad and I had a clash because I never asked him. My dad wasn't really around, you know, physically a lot when I was that, you know, in that age. And I asked him, I went on the limb. I wasn't going to ask. And I was like, oh, let me ask, you know. And the way that he responded wasn't what I was. I wasn't what I thought it should be. Right. Right or wrong. It wasn't what I thought it should be. And so I was like, nah, F that, cut him off. So I felt like I was on my own. I had to make some decisions, you know. The adults in my life at the time couldn't cover me the way I needed them to, where I needed to. And so I was like, yo, I got to make some hard decisions. Um, and so unbeknownst to anyone, I don't I think I had a girlfriend at the time, frat brothers, friends. I didn't tell anyone. I may have told, I don't remember who I told, but I don't think I told anyone because this is how I operated, right? This is how dudes in college operate like when you're desperate. I called an army recruiter, right? I called an army recruiter and uh, told her my story. Um, and she... Of course, you know, college, you know, nearly college grad. She was probably like, ching, ching, got him, you know. Um, so I called her uh, and I told her my story. And she said, well, you know, you know, if you join the army, you know, you get to travel, all that stuff. And I was like, I don't care about traveling. I just want to pay these bills um, and I just want to finish my college. You know, that's all I want to do. Um I, my grandmother was live in time and I couldn't, of course, I couldn't ask her. Um, so she said, all right, we can do that. We can do that. So check this out, Mike. I'm going to come down to James Madison University. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to get you processed. <laughs> processed? <laughs> processed for what? Uh, so she was basically telling me the story that, look, what we're going to do is I want to come up there. You're going to enlist into the army this weekend or whatever the time period was uh you're going to go to basic training in between your junior and senior year go to basic training in ait whatever we can do this summer and then you'll start school again in the fall and then you know after school after you graduate you know you'll be enlisted you'll be an e4 because i had wouldn't you know when i was signing up I didn't have my degree yet, so I couldn't go in as an officer. So I knew all the E1, E2, E3, the how the uh, military ranked itself because I was a military brat. So I knew all that talk. So when she told me E4, I was like, whoa, 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 lady, hold on. Now I have, I'm going to have my degree next year. You know, why don't I just wait until I get, oh, I can't wait because I can't pay for my tuition. So she had me, right? Get money now. All right. All right. Okay, lady. I'll go in as an E4. So I took the ASVAB test. All you know is the, the ASVAB test is a test you take when you to go into the military. It's like a, a competency test, you know, based on a whole bunch of stuff. But I was in college, so I aced it. You know, I was a smart kid. I, I did really well. So she told me, you, oh, man, 
your score is off the charts. You can have whatever job you want. This is your job. You could be a journalist. And I was gonna, I was big into communications and journal. You could be a journalist. You can, you oh oh, you play the you play a saxophone. Oh, you could be in the army's marching band. All you have to do is audition. And she sold me the dream, and I was like, word, let's do it. So, I uh, she came to pick me up from James Madison University. All this conversation prior to was happening on the phone. She drove two hours, two and a half hours to pick me up. She she was coming from uh, Fort Meade, Maryland, which is right down the street from where I live now, which is crazy. Um, she came and picked me up in the middle of the night like a thief, and I don't think I told anybody. I think I just left. You know, like I didn't tell anybody. I just left in a car with this white lady, this recruiter, and she drove me uh, up to Maryland. So we got to, I remember it was, I think it was like a Tuesday night, right? And we get to Maryland and we're in this holding area, you know, where the, where the young guys stay overnight in preparation to go through processing in the morning or Fort Meade, Maryland. It was like a hotel, it's kind of like a dorm situation. So I wasn't really, it wasn't really new to me, but what I noticed as soon as I got in this area, in this hotel area, this dorm, barracks, all, you know, barracks is what they were. Um, these guys were different than me, right? So these guys were fresh out of high school. All of them, if I remember correctly, were fresh out of high school and they were just different than me. I couldn't quite put my hand on how they were different. But they were all so different from me. I remember talking with dudes, you know, because I'm a chameleon. So I can go into any situation and be comfortable. So from my upbringing in New York City to being a military brat, living in Georgia and Germany and being around all these different countries and cultures, like I can go into any environment and be good. So I was playing the role. I was in the environment. I was, you know, hey, what's going on, man? Oh, you oh, blah, blah, blah. Just shooting the breeze with people. Um, but these guys were generally out of control. These guys were like extremely, with, without going into deep, they were just very, very immature. And I'm like, these, these are the, like, the sol- these are going to be soldiers? Like these guys? I grew up with soldiers all around me. Like my stepdad, a soldier, like all his friends coming over, mature guys, you know, fit, boom, you know, muscles, guys, you know, yes, sir, all that. And so seeing these, this rowdy bunch of animals, I just didn't fit in. Like, I, I was just like, man. So I was more nervous that night than leading up to this entire process. Than having a woman come and pick me up from JMU and pat my back to come join the army. I was fine. Until I saw this group that was supposed to be a mirror of myself, right? These are all, all of us are going into the military, right? So, you know, so the next morning, excuse me, I'm draining right now. But the next morning, um, you know, we get the the, the bangs in the door, four o'clock, you know, military style. Wake up, get up, get up. Everybody's yelling, screaming. Everybody's all discombobulated or whatever. Now, I already pledged a fraternity, so nothing was really shaking me right now. But so I got up, all right, you know, got my stuff together. And still, I'm looking around and just didn't sit right with me. And I was getting, it was like making me nauseous. And I was looking around and I was like, wow, this is my life. Like, 
this is what it's going to be for the next however long. All right. So I'm going through the I'm going through the motions right now. You go through, you sign in papers, you know, you're meeting with people, they're giving you the physical and all that stuff. Moment number one. This this might have been the first moment for real with all these other moments leading up, but this moment in the processing center, we had to go in this room. And so we had to get a full physical. So for guys, you know what a full physical is, right? Got the whole kit caboodle, right? Uh, I go in this room, and it's, it's, it's a, uh, you know, the doctor's there, you know. There's a police, uh, uh, a recruiter there, a soldier there, a person in the bathroom with you. And we had to pee into the urinal. We had to pee into the cup, you know, which that's nothing new. Done that many times. Um, but this time... There was a soldier that had to stand behind me as I'm peeing into this cup, right? Like on my shoulder, like his head was nestled ever so gently on my shoulder (laughs) while I'm holding myself trying to go to the bathroom. (sighs) Yes, so all that right there. It, it just felt so institutionalized. It felt like jail to me. It felt like jail to me. You know what I'm thinking? I'm a college student. Like, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I went to college, so I wouldn't. Yeah. So I'm going through all this. I'm a sociology major, so I'm breaking everybody down, breaking down the system. I'm breaking down, like, you know, who the where the white people are, where the black people are, looking at the different races, looking at people's ages, you know, looking at how certain people talk to other people and how people were talking to me at the assumption that because I was a black male, that this was my only option. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I couldn't pee. And he yelled at me, yelling, oh, yeah, you can't pay. What's wrong with you, boy? You got something to hide. You know, okay. So, <laughs> so when you talk about defining moments, it was at that time. I was like, yo, I can't pee. I'm not used. So I think I said to him at that time, I'm not used to someone with their chin nestled ever so gently in the crevice of my collarbone peeing in front of that person like I I'm not built like that you know so it was a big to do and they wouldn't let me move to the next process till I peed right all right I peed long story short literally long story it took me maybe two or three hours so most of the guys that were with me had gone on already it was the most dehumanizing thing it sounds small to some people to military guys that pee in front of everybody it might be nothing you know but something that was big to me Right, so okay, I finally peed. Uh, and then we go series of process or whatever. They looked at my feet, they saw I was flat footed, so they were looking at something like, Oh, you got flat foot. Uh, well, there's an issue, but we'll get you some in steps, you'll be fine. Okay, um, so it came time to you know literally select the job that you're going to do in the military. You have jobs, you know, that's what the military is a series of jobs that you do in different you know environments and so you know i told her that hey my recruiter said that (laughs) my recruiter said that i could be a journalist so i'm gonna be a journalist they're like all right let's look up in the let's look up on the system that's them on the typewriter or the computer 
Uh, journal oh, journalist is not available. Excuse, please. What? What? Uh, one more again. I don't. I don't understand your talk. Yeah, everything's not available all the time, so you're gonna have to choose something else. What was your score? Oh, I got a 94, some 94 percentile. Oh, you can choose. Oh, that's not a no. That's not available. No. Band? No, that's not available. Radio? Uh, no, that's not. Oh, we have helicopter engineer. Huh, okay. Ooh. No, that's not it. Okay. So all these things and the series of events that led up to that. Um, at that point in time, I raised my hand up because they were like, choose, choose from here. Here's the, here's the printout. Choose one of these. At that point, I raised my hand and... I asked if I could talk to my recruiter. Now, my recruiter wasn't on site. <laughs> like, well, your recruiter did her job. She's out. So I was like, I need to talk to my recruiter. I'm not going forward with this process until I talk to my recruiter. Now, I think at this point I had selected a job and I was getting ready to go into, you know what? I was getting ready to go into a room where I saw other guys getting sworn in. I never forget, it was a red room, red carpet, red seats, big flag, wooden panel walls, and people were going in there and taking the oath. I solemnly swear to defend the country, blah, 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 blah. And I was literally on the step of that door, looking in there. And I was like, yo, I need to talk to my recruiter. Why? What? What do you talk to her for? She's not here. That's not your mother, brother. Like I understand that, but I'm not going. I'm, I'm. I can't do this. I'm not doing this. I think I even said I'm not built for this. What do you mean? You're wasting everybody's time. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, you're doing a, yell, a lot of yelling. I need to talk to my recruiter. So they put me in another room. They're trying to wake me out. You know, called the recruiter. Finally came. It was like an hour and a half later. And I told her, I was like, look, um, I, I'm, I'm not built for this. I'm sorry. I wasted your time. And uh, it's, it's just not going to work. What? You should have saw how she looked at me. She looked like I stabbed her in the neck with a pencil. She's like, what? So you're saying I drove all the way? She's hitting me with this attitude. I drove all the way? So I was, like, I was like, hey, what you're not going to do is guilt me. You're not going to guilt me because I didn't want to join the army. Uh, join the army with my life. You know, like I'm not going to, you know. Um, so I was like, hey, could you take me back to school? So she was like, you really think I'm going to drive you back three hours? I was like, well, yeah, because whether I joined or not, you told me that you're going to take me back. So. I'm not joining. Can you take me back to school? You're going to have to call your parents. My parents lived in Georgia at the time. So I was like, hey, that's not an option. If you're going to abandon me here for me, then all right, cool. I'll let a few people know about that. Um, but, you know, I'm going to need you to take me back. And so uh, the most awkward three hour ride back to Harrisonburg, Virginia, she took me back. And um, needless to say, I don't think she spoke one word to me. Uh, she literally let me get one foot out the car and drove off to the point where it kind of like the car hit me a little bit. Um, and that was it. That was my story. That was my, that was like, I left out a lot of the details because 
I don't want to like incriminate or, or for anybody to think that I'm talking negatively about the military and about people that join the military. I know way too many uh, dope ass soldiers and like, you know, people that have been in the military, people I look up to, my stepfather, like people, my uncles, like people that I love that are in the military. I don't ever want to disparage them. Um, but that was my lowest point. And it wasn't the lowest. The reason why it became a defining moment is because I had to stand in my decision and tell the woman and the recruiter and the man, the people that are yelling at me, they're like, look, I was wrong when I decided to come here. You know, I made decisions based off emotion out of desperation. And I'm not going to make a decision to be a soldier out of desperation. You know what I'm saying? And ever since then, it just, it was charging me at that time to speak my mind, to be honest, to, you know, look at how institutions treat people and how people interact with institutions that define my career, you know, to give a voice to the voiceless and, you know, make sure that kids know all of their options. Um, so that that's my story, folks. It's a heavy story, um, but, you know, it's the truth and it's my life and I would have it no other way. That story really defined me and made me come into my own. Um, when I told my mom that story after the fact, you know, she was her. Everybody tell a story like, oh, my God, how could you? But, you know, when you're in a situation that seems uh, like you can't get through it. Whatever your higher power is, mine is God, mine is Jesus, mine is Jesus Christ. Like that, whoever I was speaking with and however I was speaking to them during that time, it wasn't me. You know, and like it was me, but like the power and the calmness and the uh, the fortitude and the ability to stand there with these, you know, 250 pound men, you know, trying to intimidate me. And I'm like, look. You're going to have to take me back to school, B. You know, like, that's not me. That's that higher power. So um, every man needs to tap into that and let that, whatever that moment is, define and guide some decisions in their life or, you know, where they're going or just look at where you came from and say, look at God. <laughs> um, but, yo, thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for listening to the idea of manhood. This is a long episode, huh? Probably long. Episode 13. Lucky number 13. Uh, I got a story to tell. I had a story. You heard it. Tell me your story. Look, go online. What I, I just want to hear from people. Um, and I'll holler at y'all next time. Peace out. The idea of manhood. Five mics. Husband, father, educator, writer, MC. The microphone gives me wings. Peace. <laughs>